Hello, Fellowship. I have an important announcement today that requires your prayer and participation. As a church body, it's time to nominate new elders to the elder board, as four of our current elders will be completing their terms of service next summer. In our church governance structure, the elder board is made up of godly men who make critical and significant decisions on behalf of all the congregations of fellowship. We are not a church with elders, we are a church led by elders. The nomination and recognition process are very important to the health of our church family. And here is what we're asking members of fellowship to do. First, please pray for the elder nomination process and discern whether you should nominate someone to the office of elder. Then, if you feel led by the Holy Spirit to make a nomination, please visit fellowshipnwa.org forward slash elder nomination and complete the online form. Read the accompanying document entitled Qualifications of an Elder before making your nomination. Or, if you prefer a paper nomination form, you may pick one of those up in the Worship Center foyer at each campus. The nomination form will be attached to the qualifications of an elder document. Please mail paper nominations to the church office on the Rogers campus to the attention of the elders. The deadline for making a nomination is December 19th. Please pray for your elders as we initiate this process. Our desire is to be sensitive and responsive to the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And finally, we would like to thank Rod Easley, Steve Lampkin, Dick Nervig, and Steve Weber for their years of service as elders. They have served the Lord faithfully and diligently during their tenure and have represented you well. When you see them, please thank them personally. Blessings to each of you for your prayers and participation in this phase of the elder nomination process. Thank you. Hello, fellowship. Church body, it's time to nominate new elders to the elder board. As four of our well, nothing like a cold start, huh? Good morning. My name's Abel. This is Karma. We're happy to be with you all this morning. Um, the video was going to tell you to get your elder nominations turned in. Please be prayerful and get those turned in by mid-December. And also, today is the last day to drop off Operation Christmas Child boxes, so let's get those turned in. Um, if you have been around Fellowship long, you have heard our mission statement. It's to produce and release spiritual leaders who know and express the authentic Christ to Northwest Arkansas and the world. And so we want to, uh, we believe we can make a huge difference here in our community and in the world. One of the cool things is that the world, the nations, are coming to Northwest Arkansas. And we don't have to go and live um, abroad to, to have an impact globally. And so um, Karma Rastico is here. And before Karma shares, I, I do have one of my favorite stories. I don't think 
I will ever have the chance to tell this story to y'all. So I just take a, take a second to share a story. So Mike and Carmen invited us over to their house like uh, 10 years ago. Their son Jed was about four. We walked into their house, and Jed was just staring at me <laughs> and for like five minutes. And finally, I turned to Jed, and I said, Jed, what's up, man? You look like you had something on your mind. And Jed said, you know how they draw um, stick figures with a circle head? I said, yeah, I know that. He said, uh, most people don't have one, but you do. Uh, I went, I am the stick figure model. This is amazing. This is amazing. So really grateful for that observation from Jed. Um, so Karma uh, has been really invested in internationals, um, in ministry internationals, really a relational, a friendship-based ministry that has been very effective, and it's fun, and uh, I want, yeah, just yeah. let Karma share about it a little bit. Yeah, thank you. Um, in Bentonville, I'm sure you've seen, we have such a huge population of Indians from India, and then we also have um, seven Afghan refugee families that have come in the last year, and my husband and I used to be in the Maldives and in India, and so when we moved back here, I was just looking around for where God would have me, and I just saw all the Indians, and I thought, okay, God, I'll, be, I'll begin to befriend them. And as I was beginning to learn to know them, and um, there's Muslims, Hindus, um, Catholics, I began to realize how much needs they had. They wanted to learn to drive. They wanted friendship. They wanted to experience American holidays, and so that kind of just threw me forward and I would just connect ladies and, and families to the international community and kind of just be a networker. And I, um, I just feel like there is a lot more needs that we have. I currently am driving an Indian lady and she needs more driving practice. Um, we, I'm doing a swim class, teaching uh, women how to swim, but we have ladies that have done sewing classes and art classes and just, we need people to befriend them, make friendships with them. When I ask my Indian friends, do you have any American friends? And they say, no, but we have you. So I'm like, um, and many of us are doing this and many of you are, and if you would love help um, understanding the Hindu religion or the Muslim religion, there's many of us that would love to sit down and have coffee with you and help you know how to reach out to the Indian families within your kids' schools or in your neighbors. And also with the Afghan refugees, it breaks my heart. Um, they're amazing. Hunter and his wife came with me last week and um, it really meant a lot to me and just spending time with them. They just need a lot. They need a lot of friendship and help. It's a whole different ministry than um, the Indian population that's here. So, Yeah, it can be overwhelming um, for just a couple people. But what I really appreciate about, appreciate about Karma and, and other people uh, at Fellowship and really churches throughout Bentonville is that they are, are being a link. They are helping connect needs to people. And so if you enjoy building relationships, if you enjoy having people over to your home, that's really how it starts. And so you can reach out to Karma. Um, her info is on the screen behind us. And then also stop by uh, the community booth or actually the resource booth after service and visit with Karma. And we'd love to share uh, just more about what that international ministry looks like. Thank you. Thanks for being here. Let me pray for us this morning. Lord, we love you. Thank you for a beautiful day. Thank you for uh, this week that we get to think about and to express thanks. Lord, we, we point our eyes to you, uh, the giver of all good things. And um, you are the one we thank. And so we invite you to be the center of this service. Lord, we give our, 
our lives fresh to you again today. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning, fellowship. Now you can stand and let's, uh, let's sing this song together as an offering to our God. Nothing can stand against the power of our 
amen. The battle belongs to him this morning. Uh, Fellowship, we're about to sing um, a new song together. And the song is, uh, it's about a similar topic. Uh, the song's about in, in the midst of, of trouble and trials and tribulation that Jesus, that Jesus in the scriptures actually promises that we will have tribulation. This song is a reminder that he has in fact overcome the world. This song reminds me of his promise to us that no matter what we're going through, he's promised his presence to be with us and to be close to us. So I hope that this song ministers to you as we sing. Christ is my firm foundation, the rock on which I stand when everything around me shaking. I've never been more glad that I put my faith in Jesus, cause he's never let me down. He's faithful through generations. So why would he fail now? He won't. He won't. I've still got joy in chaos. I've got peace that makes no sense. So I won't be going under I'm not held by my own strength Cause I build my life on Jesus Cause he's never let me down He's faithful in every season So I
we stand in that truth today. We're thankful for who you are, for what you've done for us. And Lord, this morning, we're just thankful and we stand in awe of the fact that, that in the midst of trouble, and even in times where we pull away from you, even in times where we're running away, we might be trusting in, in a different power, maybe the power of self. Lord, you pursue us anyway, and you pull us close anyway, and you do it again and again and again because you are faithful Lord, we love you for that. We couldn't even love you if you didn't love us first. So Lord Jesus, would you bring us to a point of awe this morning and a point of gratitude so that we could worship you, so that we could give what we have back to you, God. We love you. Amen. You can be seated.
Fellowship. Hello, fellowship. Uh, my name is Mike uh, Shotsman. I'm with Crew, I'm with in, Portugal. crew in Portugal. And I want to say I thank, want to say thank for giving you generously for giving generously to helping us, to helping uh, meet, us the uh, meet the needs of Ukrainian refugees, refugees uh, in, Portugal uh, in Portugal and in Ukraine. And in Ukraine. Through, your generosity, Through your generosity, we've been able, we've been to, able to help resettle, help resettle the, the Ukrainian families in Portugal. In fact, even today, we're still helping walk beside six families as they uh, get accustomed to Portugal, find jobs, and we're able to still help them meet some of their financial needs and physical needs. We've also used a portion of that money you've given to walk beside and to partner with our Ukrainian national staff as they're still in Ukraine. As more and more Ukrainians are now returning to Kiev and the surrounding areas, they're returning to homes that have been looted and to villages that have been destroyed. Our Ukrainian staff 
have been delivering boxes each week to these families in Ukraine and these surrounding villages of Kiev, delivering boxes filled with, uh, with food and home goods. And they're not just taking care of their physical needs, they're sitting down with them, praying with them and listening to them. Through your generous giving, Ukrainian refugees in Portugal and in Ukraine are seeing their physical, spiritual, and emotional needs taken care of. Thank you guys for giving generously. Well, good morning. You're about as awake as the last service. Good morning. Yeah. If you recognize that guy, if you think you recognize him, that is Mark Schatzman's younger and better looking brother. All right? And uh, he, through your donations to Disaster Relief, he was able to work with his team as we sent them tens of thousands of dollars because of your generosity and make a difference for the people who were leaving Ukraine. And so thank you so much for your generosity. And fellowship has most certainly made a difference in the lives of a lot of people there. And thanks to Mark introduce, introducing us to Mike and uh, letting us know what he was doing over there. So uh, thank you. I am grateful this morning on this Thanksgiving week. Can you believe it's Thanksgiving? It's unbelievable to me. But it's on this Thanksgiving week, I'm thankful to have this building done. Are you? Yeah, I am so thankful to have this building done. This time last year, I remember Mark was one. He said, can we, can we just have our Christmas Eve service out there? And I said, Mark, there are no bathrooms. He said, we don't need bathrooms. Well, I, I thought we probably did, and uh, so, did, so did John. And speaking of John, I, I want to recognize this guy. John, would you please stand? Yeah, let that white hair grow, glow there. Um, you're, you're clapping, but you may not know why yet. Um, this is John Marquette, and John is director of our buildings and grounds here at Fellowship. Uh, he's a, a seminary graduate and, and just does a fantastic job uh, with discipleship, with our, our buildings and grounds teams, and, and uh, we're really grateful for him. He's been on staff as a community pastor before, and I asked him to step in this role ooh, 10, 12 years ago, something like that. And um, uh, John has stepped into this role, and he saw this project through from working with those who made the donations, those uh, uh, as we were meeting with the city and, and getting things rolling all the way through the process of uh, establishing Fellowship Bentonville. And I just wanted to recognize him in the spirit of Thanksgiving this morning and give you the opportunity, to, I mean, to really thank him for the work that he's done. I mean, he ordered the chair that you're sitting in right now. It's so comfortable because he got the best chair he could get for you for the price. Stayed under budget. I mean, this guy was an incredible help to all of us. And not only did he do that, the five years before that, he was working on Fellowship Fayetteville. So literally, for over 10 years, he has donated his life uh, to making it possible for us to have these uh, additional buildings. So, John, really, thank you. And I want to encourage all of us, all of us, this week in in the spirit of thanksgiving, that as we sit down with our families, before you pray at your thanksgiving meal, to look into the eyes of each person around the table 
And just be grateful for them. Just be grateful for them. There were people at your Thanksgiving table last year who aren't here this year. And the same will be true next year. It's life. So really savor the moment. Let go of the rope where you have differences. And just let them see Jesus in you. It's a great opportunity for us this week. And let's don't miss it. Let's don't miss it just to make the most of it. Well, I'm thankful too for the letter to the Ephesians that we've studied. Have you enjoyed this study this year? Yeah, it's, it's been great this fall to walk through the book of Ephesians and, and to listen to God about what he wanted us to believe and, and how we are supposed to live in light of that. There's much good stuff for us to savor here in Ephesians. And I hope you just won't walk away from it now, but, but go back through it with your notes. And, and, and in this section today, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. Paul is going to call us to action. Going to call us to action and, and prepare us for battle by encouraging us to put on the full armor of God. But the battle may look a little different than what you might imagine. You see, when we're called to battle, we think it's time to get out there and, and, and get with it and fist fight, you know, but you don't fist fight with Satan. There's a way to go about this, and so Paul gives us instructions for it. And so I want you to start, let's, we'll come back to verse 10, but I want you to look to verse 18 of chapter 6, because this sets the context for the armor gear that we're about to put on. He says, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. You see, prayer strengthens the armor that we're to put on. It is a prerequisite of the armor that we're supposed to put on. You see, in prayer, it's not that we get more of God, but that God gets more of us. Amen? It's not that we get more of God, it's that God gets more of us. But we tend to lose sight of the importance of prayer and the spiritual disciplines that accompany the armor of God. We would do well to heed the warning that Paul gives the Ephesians today. Because you see, 30 years later, John being inspired by the Holy Spirit, would send a message to the Ephesian church, a strong rebuke because they had lost their first love. They had abandoned their zeal for the truth. The very things that he had taught them here, they missed it. Look at what he says in Revelation 2, Revelation 2 verse 4. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. The schemes of Satan had diminished their effectiveness as a church. And these imperatives to them are plural. So he is talking to the church more than to individuals. They were responsible as a body of Christ to stand firm. We'll talk more about that. Your prayers are much more effective 
than you probably think. Your prayer is just not air. It goes somewhere. We see this in the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 9 and verse 20. I promise we will get to Ephesians, okay? Daniel 9 and verse 20. He's, uh, Daniel writes, While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people, Israel, and making my request to the Lord my God for his holy hill, while I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the angel, Gabriel, the man I had seen earlier in the vision, in the earlier vision, came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. He instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. Now watch this. As soon as you began to pray, a word went out, which I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. In the throne room of heaven, Daniel's prayer was echoed. And Gabriel flew in swift flight to tell him, that his prayer has been heard. Now, are Daniel's prayers more important than yours? Do something. Are Daniel's prayers more important than yours? No. No, they're not. When you pray, your prayers echo in the throne room of heaven. And you see, we have trouble understanding that because we're finite. But God is infinite. We, it's like I've shared with our community group this year as, as, as we've been going through the book of Revelation that, that we can't understand some of this. We can't capture it in our minds how God hears our prayers and separates them and, and, and knows, knows our needs. But it's, it's the same concept. I, if I try to teach my wife's little dog how to drive. If I tell her how to drive, it's never, ever going to work. Why? Because she's limited in her understanding and in her ability to get that level of training. And so when we try to figure out God and how he does all that he does, just remember, you're like my wife's little dog. And so am I. There are some things that through faith we just have to accept that God is greater. I want to show you another, than, another one that was written a thousand years earlier than the one we just read in, in 2 Chronicles 20, verse 1. I love this story. Hang on to it and go back and study it. After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites from the east, they were from the east and the southeast of the Dead Sea, with some of the Meonites, that's down near Petra, came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. And some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom. It's on the other side of the Dead Sea. It is already at Hassan Tamar. That, that's in Gedi, and some of you have been there with me. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord. And he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. And the people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. All the people came together to pray and to seek God. And then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard and said, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. 
Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in it and have built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress, and you will hear us and save us. But now, here are men from Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession that you gave us as an inheritance. Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Remember that line, when you just don't know what to do. Keep your eyes on God. And all the men of Judah, with their wives and children and little ones, stood there before the Lord. And then the Spirit of the Lord came on Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, a Levite and descendant of Asaph, as he stood in the assembly. And he said, listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. The battle is not yours, but God's. And thanks be to God, the same is true today. The very next day, they went out to meet the vast army that was coming to them. And Jehoshaphat had so much faith that he put the musicians out front, Seth. He put the musicians out in front of the battle. And they shouted, give thanks to the Lord, from Psalm 136. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His chesed, his steadfast love endures forever. And they watched, amazed, as the armies were decimated before them, as they turned on one another, they never have, had to lift a finger, and the armies were decimated before their eyes. And they went back to Jerusalem, and they rejoiced together. It's true today. The battle is the Lord's. Our greatest achievement in spiritual warfare is staying close to God through the practice of the spiritual disciplines that we will read about in Ephesians 6. I want to hammer that home. That's how we endure the difficult times. For years, I've used this little phrase, stay in, stay close, stay away. Stay in, stay close, stay away. Stay in the Word. Stay close to God. And stay away from temptation. Just remember that. Stay in the word. Stay close to God. And stay away from temptation. And now he describes the battle garments that he wants us to identify. The armor of God. How many of you were ever in vacation Bible school? 
Yeah, at some point, you did the armor of God, didn't you? You studied the armor of God. You had a different piece every day that you put on. And, uh, you know, you had the, 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 the feet that were fitted, and, and then you had the breastplate of righteousness, and you had the shield. You made that, and you had the helmet of salvation that kept falling off. It didn't fit right. But your favorite thing was the sword of the Spirit. That was your favorite piece of armor that you made. But I'm afraid that gave us maybe a little bit of a wrong impression of this armor. Because you see, most of those pieces that we're going to talk about are defensive in nature, not offensive. So let's look at chapter 6, verse 10. And imagine as you read Paul. Remember, he's in prison. He's chained to a Roman soldier. They're in that dank, damp prison. And as he's looking at that soldier, he sees that helmet, that breastplate, that shield, that sword. And the Holy Spirit inspires him to write. And he says this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And the idea there is to be made strong. This is in its passive voice. We are made strong in the Lord. It doesn't come from within us. It comes from him through us. Be made strong in the Lord. And that happens when we stay in, stay close, stay away. Be strong in the Lord. It's it's like in Ephesians 4.24 where we reminded We were reminded to put on the new self to be created like God in true holiness and righteousness. Verse 11, he says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. You see, the devil is scheming against us. Klein Snodgrass wrote this. He said, evil rarely looks evil until it accomplishes its goal. It gains entrance by appearing attractive desirable, and perfectly legitimate. It is a baited and camouflaged trap. Second Corinthians said it best, that Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. Satan is scheming to find a weakness in your wall. And when he finds that weakness in your wall, he will exploit it and try to destroy you. Our reformed and all millennial brothers and sisters who believe that Satan is bound right now have trouble with this verse. I don't think Satan is bound. Do you? If he is bound, I hate to see what it looks like when he's turned loose. Verse 11, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For, verse 12, our struggle is the only time that word is used in the New Testament. And it carries with it the idea of wrestling like Abel does with his boys. Of wrestling. Our, our, our wrestling is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You see, our battle is not tied to this earth, and it can only be fought in the heavenly realms. And who fights up there? Us? God. God. Because the battle is his. Don't be thinking you're going to fist fight with Satan. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that 
when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. He repeats himself. Put on the full armor of God. Put on the full armor of God. You're going to see him repeat the word stand four times in here. Ladies, why do you repeat yourself to your children or your husband? It's for emphasis sake, right? They may not have been listening the first time, but for emphasis sake, you repeat yourself. And so Paul is repeating himself here. So that after you have done everything to stand. We're in a war, not only for our hearts and minds, but the hearts and minds of our children. For the truth of the gospel. So verse 14, stand firm then. Resist with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. All the other garments are dependent on truth. If you abandon truth, then those other battle garments won't do you any good. We cannot compromise the truth, even though it may seem best to us because of the loud drum beats of culture. We don't base what we believe here at Fellowship on culture. Or where the world is moving, we base it on this. That's why we embrace a historical, grammatical, literal interpretation of Scripture. It's because that's what we believe. This is unchanging. Culture changes. Oh, can we be sensitive to culture? Absolutely. We don't base what we believe on that. And I can see Paul as he imagined that that belt around his waist, that that before you go into battle and you're wearing this robe, that you tighten it belt up and you get ready for battle. You tighten it up so that the the, the loose robes, they they aren't compromising you in battle. And, And we can't embrace as a church the loose robes of culture that make us vulnerable. We have to tighten up that belt of truth buckled around our waist. And then with the breastplate of righteousness in place, the breastplate that the Roman soldiers wore protected not only the front, but it also protected the back. It wrapped all the way around, and it protected their vital organs. We need the breastplate of righteousness. And this is not talking about the righteousness of Christ. It's talking about our ability to live rightly, to make good choices, to read the scripture and to put it into place. And with your feet fitted with readiness, it comes from the gospel of peace. As he looked down at the Romans' feet, the the Romans would have spikes or, or, or studs on the bottom of their boots or sandals, and that kept them from losing ground. They held their ground, and they were able to move forward without slipping. And that's what he's telling us, to to stand your ground. You see, we can't afford to give up ground. You're either moving forward or backward in your spiritual life. There is no idle. There is no park. There is no neutral. You can't pull over to the side of the road and you say, you know, I'm just going to rest for a while. I'm just going to take it easy. I'm not doing community group this year. I'm not going to go to church for a while. I'm just, going to, I'm just going to sit back. You'll lose ground. 
you'll lose ground. You can't say, you know what, I'm going to take this exit of sin here for a little while, and I'm going to go over here, and then I'm going to come back, and then I'll start all over again right where I started. No, you won't. You're going to lose ground, and Satan's schemes are going to exploit you in the process. When you separate yourself from the herd, that's when he gets you. That's when he gets you. You need to have those spikes on the bottom of your feet so that you never lose ground. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. The Roman shields were four feet high by two feet wide, big heavy things made out of wood and then wrapped with leather, and then they would soak them in water. When they brought them out, they would extinguish the flaming arrows. They wouldn't catch fire. Their shields wouldn't burn because they were waterlogged in the leather and the wood. The shield of faith protects us from the evil one's attacks. 1 Peter 5.8 reminds us to be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. You need the shield of faith to survive his attacks, to protect you from those attacks. And he indeed will come and he will destroy a life, a family, a career. When you don't have that shield up to guard you. You see, it all works together, doesn't it? The breastplate, the shield, the feet, all of it works together. And then he said, take the helmet of salvation. And that's uh, 2 Thessalonians 5. Paul associates the helmet of salvation with the hope of salvation. My definition of hope is it's a relentless anticipation of an unseen reality. It's a relentless anticipation of an unseen reality. He said, wear that helmet of salvation because that's our protection. It's the reminder that our salvation is secure. It's the reminder that whatever happens to us, that God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in time of trouble, as we'll talk about in a moment. Our salvation is secure. You're not going to wake up tomorrow and your salvation is gone. No, it's been purchased by Jesus Christ. And there's nothing, nothing that can take it away. And then our favorite weapon, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. It's the only offensive word mentioned. The writer of Hebrews tells us, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. The word of God. Believe it. Read it. Live it, know it, use it. It is your best defense to drive Satan away from you. How do I know that? Because we find the example in Matthew chapter 4. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the Judean wilderness. It looks a little different than what you might imagine. We get that slide up there of the Judean wilderness. They're going back. Yeah, there it is. You think about the wilderness, you may have thought it was like a forest, but not at all. It's desert. I took that picture in March when it, when it had been raining, and so there's a little green on there, but in just a, a few weeks, it's all brown. It's all hot, and that's where Jesus was. That's where the Spirit led him, and for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. 
And the tempter, Satan, came to him and he said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Deuteronomy 8.3. What was Jesus' sword in the spirit there? The word of God. That's how he defended himself against Satan when he was hungry, when he was alone. And then the devil took him back to Jerusalem and he took him to the pinnacle of the temple. It was about 150 feet high on that particular corner. And he said, fear the Son of God. Throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Deuteronomy 6.16. He just keeps on firing back with the Word of God. And so the devil took him to the highest mountain, and he let him look over the vast expanse. And he said, All this will I give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Deuteronomy 6.13. The next time you start reading through all the books of the Bible and you get to Deuteronomy and start falling asleep, you remember this is what Jesus used to battle Satan. Read Deuteronomy. Because after this, the devil left him and the angels came and attended Jesus. It's our greatest weapon. Verse 18, we come back to it. He said, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Pray about everything, he says. Pray about even the smallest things, even the smallest things that you think that God doesn't care about. Pray about even the smallest things. Because it's not about you getting more of God. It's about God getting more of you. Pray in the little things. It means that you're talking to him, that you're walking with him. That you're praying without ceasing. Pray about everything, just like Jehoshaphat did. And then he said, pray also for me. Verse 19, that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fiercely fiercely make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Hear the chains rattle. He said, I'm an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Every Roman soldier who was chained to Paul during his Roman imprisonment heard the gospel. And many of them came to know him because you'll see that in the New Testament, in in, in the uh, wrap-ups to the books, you'll see their names. Those are Roman names. They had come to know Christ through Paul's witness. And I want to take you a a moment here. He says, pray for me. I know for the over 30 years that I've been here, so many have prayed for me that entire time. Robert and Gary and I were talking about all the years that we worked together and There wasn't one time when one of us spent the night in the hospital. And we attribute that through all those years to people of fellowship praying for us. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you for your prayers for me. It means more than you know. More than you know. 
Now, I may be in the hospital tonight. I don't know. But I'm thankful for all these years of your prayers. And then look at how he thinks about the family of God. Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant of the Lord, will tell you everything so that you may also know how I am and, and what I'm doing. I'm sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. Peace to the brothers and sisters and, with, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. So let's wrap this up. Is Satan real? Yep, he is. Is he going to come after you? Absolutely. But don't be preoccupied with him. Don't give him too much credit. He's not omniscient. He's not omnipotent. He's not omnipresent. Those are attributes that are reserved for God and God alone. So don't be obsessed with Satan. Be obsessed with Jesus. Focus your heart and your mind and your life on Jesus and you will be the better for it, not on Satan. Pray, read the word as we've studied. That is our armor. The Bible addresses demonic activity with two regards. Number one, Satan was defeated at the cross. He and all his minions. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? He's been defeated right there. And don't get caught by Satan's schemes. Remember Ephesians 6, 10 through 24. Put on the armor and be made strong by God. Martin Luther wrote a hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. His life had been threatened after the edict of worms. And so he hid in a castle. And while he was there, he read Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in a time of trouble. And he decided he was going to leave that castle. And before he did, in 1529, he wrote this great hymn that describes that battle against the enemy. Look at those words. For still our ancient foe does seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great. This is not a solo. And armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. Look at this. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us. We will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. Look at this. One little word shall fail. One little word from God will defeat Satan, has defeated Satan, and in the end, will defeat Satan because the battle belongs to the Lord. 
Pray to God. Talk to God. Walk with God. Let me conclude with this. I want you to think about this and then I want you to ponder it for a moment and talk to God about it. I want to ask you a question. How much easier would your life have been over the past year if you had allowed God to fight your battles and just allowed Him to win the victory? How much easier would your life have been over the last year if you realized the battle belongs to the Lord and that you just embraced truth and lived rightly and stood firm, exercised faith, knew the word of God, embraced the hope of salvation and prayed about everything. Just take some quiet time and do business with God, would you? Let's all do that. So when I fight, I'll fight on my knees With my hands lifted high Oh God, the battle belongs to you In every fear I lay at your feet I'll sing through the night Oh God, the battle belongs to you So when I fight, I'll fight on my hands lifts it high, oh God, the battle belongs to you, in every fear I lay at your feet, I'll sing through the night, oh God, the battle belongs to
would you stand and sing this? Well, the battle belongs to the Lord, and we have a God who's capable, who sees us, who wants to be with us, and has provided a way. And so we have all the resources. We have every advantage as believers in Jesus. Uh, one of those is prayer. And we have uh, Gordon and Colleen in front of the baptismal if you want prayer this morning. Uh, I think we know um, when we're in a battle, we do not want to do it alone. And God's given us one another. And we want, at Fellowship, we want every, to believe, every believer to be in sharpening relationships with one another. And we do that through small groups. If you'd like to get connected to a small group, stop by the community booth in the foyer. And um, let me leave us with a blessing.
before I do, um, we will have the international ministry um, available to talk with in the resource booth. So if you're interested in international ministry, uh, stop by there. The last couple verses of Ephesians say this. May you have peace and love with faith from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. May God's grace and blessing be upon all of you who sincerely love our Lord Jesus Christ. We love you.